music there. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that, Pam. Um, yeah, God is good. It's kind of the story of the service so far here. Um, well, this time of year, we usually focus on New Year's resolutions, right? Which are usually things that we try to add to our lives that maybe help us to uh, be better people, right? Um, do you participate in New Year's resolutions? I don't know if that's just an American thing or if, if it's worldwide or um, that seems to be a pattern in most people's lives. Um, just thinking through and how they might improve their life. Um, last week I read to you kind of a list of the more popular ones. Um, but what do they usually consist of? Good things, right? Eating right is usually on the list. Exercising, spending more time with family, um, all sorts of things like that. Um, nothing wrong with those things, right? Um, those things are good for our lives. But if we wanted to set some goals for the upcoming year um, for growing in our relationship with the Lord, would they be the same as we would pick for New Year's resolutions? That's kind of a, a question, right? I mean, there's definitely space for those types of good things, morals, good behavior in the life of following Christ. I mean, Scripture obviously um, provides us at times with principles to live by, um, but would it only include those kinds of things if we're thinking about our relationship with Christ? Um, and that's kind of what that rub there, I, I want us to think about a little bit. Uh, I think at times we can easily make the whole Christian experience about just being a good person. That we are simply on the planet to be nice to each other. If we can pull that off, then, then God is happy with us, right? But is that all that there is? I mean, obviously, he likes us to be nice to each other. I'm not trying to say that, but is there more to this experience with Christ than just being good to each other? Have you ever thought about that? Think about the ever-popular scripture in Jeremiah 29, um, starting with verse 11. We, we know this one probably by heart almost, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope. Plan to give, plans to give you a future. And then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I mean, what are these plans that God is talking about here? Is it just the list of do's and don'ts? Is that the plans that God has for us? Well, actually, if you know the context of this passage, God is not actually speaking generically to everyone. He's actually spe speaking directly to the Israelites in this story. And he's preparing them for a time that's coming that's going to be very difficult. He is literally sending them into exile, right? This is a message for a particular people at a particular time, particular place. And, and it's not actually, right, about just be good to each other. <laughs> it's, there's something coming. <laughs> Think about the Christmas story that we've been journeying through. God, God's desire for, Moses, for Mary and Joseph, was it just that they would be nice to people? I mean, is that the only thing that God was after for them in their life? Or was there more to the story? I mean, what makes that story so applicable? applicable, uh, I can't talk, to us? Are we all going to have a baby? <laughs> Are we all going to marry someone who's already pregnant? That's not the part of the story that we connect with, right? The part of the story that we connect is that, is that we all have this unique story with God. God's nudging us to do things, particular things, right? And sometimes those are difficult things. What do you think about this idea that the Christian life is a calling? That God actually has a unique plan for our life? Just specific to, to you, to me. Have you ever thought about that? As unique as your fingerprint on your finger, right? And this really is the conversation that we're headed into with this new sermon series. It's called Marked called by the Savior. I mean, could it be true 
that beyond morals and being good, that, that we're called into a relationship with God, which means that there are times when God actually nudges us to do something very specific? And that's an odd question for me to ask, because I think we would all say yes, but do we actually live that way? I mean, do, when this week was going along and, and John and Edna came to mind, did we think it was a prompt from a higher being to pray for them? Or was it, hmm, I wonder how they're doing? I mean, that's, that's the thought process, right? Don't you have to first believe that God is actually calling us into some type of unique life? I, I think very interesting that the evidence, even in the way that we were created, um, I think points to this idea. Have you guys ever taken a DNA test and found your long-lost relatives? You guys ever done that? Um, our kids and I, us, last Christmas, uh, we did that. Wendy bought these DNA tests, and we took them all together. And, you know, I think I've, I've already told the story before, but um, what, an, what a crazy experience. Um, did you know that if you are if you are one percent, if your DNA is one percent similar to someone else, they have to be a close relative. Probably a first cousin or closer. I mean, think about that. One percent sharing your DNA, one percent, and usually it's less. So ninety-nine percent different, unique. But if you share one percent, they're a relative. I mean, that's. Isn't that crazy to think about? How unusual we are, how unique we are. And then you start adding in their personalities and unique talents and abilities and, and even our unique needs. Designed, right? For such a time as this, for such a place as this. I mean, it's very interesting to me. We were going to have a chance to... Uh, introduced some new members this morning, and we kind of canceled that because we weren't sure what was going to happen. We'll be doing that a little bit later. But even this conversation around membership, I mean, the question really is, did God call you to this place, right? That, that God actually leads us. He calls us, not just to any church, but to a particular church. That's the conversation, right? Do we believe that that's true? We can go to any willy-nilly church, or is there some place that God actually wants us to go to, right? That's unique and, and what we need. That, that even our unique talents and abilities are designed to meet some of these people's needs, right? That we're in this together. I mean, it's just interesting to think about it. If you think that God is actually involved in our lives, right? I mean, do you believe that God leads in this way? Or, or is it just kind of willy-nilly, do whatever you want, and as long as you're good, you're good, right? I mean, that's, have you ever thought about this? I mean, we talk about listening to the Spirit's promptings. Is that a part of your life? And if we did believe that, how might it change our life? How might it change the way we even approach it, Right? I mean, think about it. Isn't that what we see in Scripture, this, this way of God? Think way all the way back to the beginning. Adam and Eve, they weren't just called to be nice. They actually, God had a job for them to do, and they were naming animals, and they were taking care of the, the planet. Things were going on, right? And then along comes Abraham and Sarah. They weren't just called to be nice. God had this plan for them. He calls them away from their family, moves them to, to this particular place, Right? to start a new family. He doesn't just tell Noah to be nice. <laughs> he has a boat for Noah to build, right? On and on and on. Every, almost every story, I think just about every story. I'm not sure I found a story <laughs> where you don't see particular things, particular plans for individual people. Not just generically, hey, we should all go build a boat. That's not the principle, right? <laughs> The principle is, I have a plan for your life. I need you to do something for me. The truth is, when you look at the whole of Scripture, we see this repeated pattern 
of this God who is calling. And these humans that are responding to that call, not always responding well at first, right? And how does God respond to those people who miss the, miss the turn? Well, he's so patient, he's so gracious with them, walks along with them. I mean, just another glance at the Old Testament, Joseph, God called him to save that whole known part of the world from famine. And he didn't just say, Joseph, go. It was step by step by step by step, wasn't it? I mean, look at Moses, burning bush, Aaron, David, Elijah. Really, the list is way too long for me to even talk about, right? We'd be here all day. And then really, what else do you got to do? Gonna have to go clean some snow up, right? I mean, God had a unique plan for their lives. Now, let me just give you a couple of examples just to get us starting into this conversation. Look at the story of Samuel and Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 3. You probably know the story. A young boy, Samuel, he's been given by his mother to the priest Eli to be raised and to be used by God, right? And in 1 Samuel 3, verse 1, the story starts. It says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. <laughs> now, isn't that an odd statement? Unless there were other times <laughs> where the, Lord, the word of the Lord was not rare. And then there were many visions, right? I mean, look at the way God acts in this story. Verse 2, one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming weak so that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of, lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. <laughs> and he ran to Eli, and he said, here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and laid down. Uh, I just totally lost my spot. Um, verse 6, right? Is that where we are? <laughs> Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up, went to Eli, and he said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. What's happening here? <laughs> Samuel is confused at who's talking to him, right? Now listen to the next statement in verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. What does that even mean? I mean what does that say? It, Samuel didn't know yet how God works. Isn't that what that's saying? How does God work? <laughs> verse 8, a third time the Lord called Samuel. <laughs> and Samuel got up went to Eli and he said, here I am, you called me. And then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli took Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and, he, and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood there. <sighs> calling as in other times, Samuel. Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. I mean, do you see it? God calling. God calling. That's what God does. And look at the New Testament. We see all the Christmas stories, right? I could, we could just roll through all of those. The characters, they weren't just asked to be nice. They, they had specific things that God wanted them to do. And then we keep reading in the New Testament, and what do we see Jesus doing? Did Jesus ever do any calling? All the time, right? All sorts of men and women. But you'll notice that just as we see in the Samuel story, that there are times when people struggle to hear and understand the Word of God. And we see examples of that in the New Testament as well, right? You see it in Peter's life. You see it in Doubting Thomas's life. And yet Jesus 
What does he do? He stays patient with them. He keeps calling them, right? And God ends up using these people in incredible ways. Incredibly unique ways, though, right? I mean, think about it. This group of people that Jesus called, they built this church family that expands across the globe, it's lasted for thousands of years, and it's filled with all sorts of people responding to this God who calls, right? And they're sharing the good news about this God who calls with others still today, right? In fact, do you remember what Jesus told his disciples in John 14? Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And they will be doing even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. You will do even greater things. I'm always confused by this statement, right? Greater things than Jesus? How? Was it because they were really good moral people? <laughs> was it because they were somehow super powerful, right? Or was it because God sent the Holy Spirit to reside in them, to work in them, work through them, and they were listening, and they were cooperating, co cooperating with God? Could that be it? In fact, I love the example of Philip in Acts 8. This was after Jesus left to go to heaven. Philip was one of the seven. And if you know the seven, they were the ones that were selected um, to serve the widows so that the disciples, the apostles, could just stay focused on preaching the word, right? So he's a lay person. Philip's a lay person who supposedly doesn't have this call to preach. He just wants to help, Right? And yet, there's this time of great persecution in the church, and the church gets scattered, and Christians are scattered everywhere, right? Listen to chapter 8, verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And then they mentioned Philip. Philip's not a preacher, at least according to what he thought, right? Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there, He's definitely not a preacher. Why in the world would he go to Samaria, right? <laughs> What's the worst place you could go? Well, listen to the rest of the story. When the crowds heard Philip and they saw signs that he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. Signs? What's he doing? It says, for with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. <laughs> What was Philip doing? Had he lost it? Or was Philip just following the promptings of the Holy Spirit, doing what God asked him to do? I mean, that, could that even be true? That God could work in that way even today? On to verse 26 in Acts 8. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I mean, an angel of the Lord appears to Philip? That's odd, isn't it? And then he gives Philip some instruction. Doesn't tell him where to go, just tells him a general direction, right? Just get on the road and start walking. And what does Philip do? He, he does it. Verse 27, So he started out on, an, on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. So he's this important government official. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. <laughs> Isn't that a coincidence? <laughs> the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And step by step, God speaks to Philip. <laughs> Philip does what the Spirit leads him to do. <laughs> and Philip leads this man to Christ. Does God still move like that today? Does God still use humans? <laughs> does God still have particular plans for particular people who can make a difference the glory of the Lord?
Do we still believe that? Because believing is actually pretty important in this process, right? If we don't believe that God can work this way, do you think we'll even notice what he's trying to tell us to do? And again, were they perfect in, in their faith? Did they get it all right all the time? I'm, I am so, so glad that Scripture is so honest, right? Of course they had struggles. Of course they, they messed it up. <laughs> and that means that we could do it too, right? I mean, look at Moses, the great Moses. Look at the great Elijah. You look at, I mean, these great pillars of the faith that had down moments. But they came along as God led them, right? They grew in their faith. They trusted the Lord. So if this is true, that God is a calling God, and that the Christian life is not just about being a good moral person, that there's more to it than that, not to say that that's, there's anything wrong with that, right? But if God actually has at times particular plans for us, maybe something that we might call a divine interruption, <laughs> a divine appointment, then what might our New Year's resolutions be like if we were pursuing to be used by God like that? What might help us to walk in the Lord in this way? And this is really what I'm hoping to maybe talk through in this series. And there are, I think, some obvious steps like, you need to be praying to the Lord, right? You need to be talking to him and listening to what he has to say. That seems obvious. You need to be reading scripture, learning what kinds of things that God might call you to do, right? What kind of things does God do? What kind of things, have, how does he use people? But this biggest obstacle, I still think, is simply belief. Do we believe that God works in this way? And if we don't believe, again, it's going to be very difficult to follow the instruction of the Lord in this way. Right? Does that make sense? And I actually can share some from my own personal experience. I grew up in the church. I, I knew the Lord from an early age. I, I didn't always think about his promptings the Holy Spirit's prompting, prompting. Sometimes looking back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. you can kind of look back and see that God was working in this place or this place. Um, and that kind of helps us moving forward. We actually kind of see what kind of things that he causes us to do. Uh, an important year for me in my life was the year I graduated from high school. Um, the week after my graduation, my mom put me on a Greyhound bus um, to Illinois to help my grandpa build his house. And I was talking to my mom last night. I told her that I would throw her under the bus, and she's watching this morning. So there you go, Mom. It was your fault. It wasn't Dad's fault. Yours. Um, and this really was the first time in my life that God and, and going to church and those kind of things weren't automatic, right? There was no one there that made me do any of that stuff. In fact, <laughs> quite the opposite. My grandpa was this angry, angry, bitter man. And you know who he was angry at? God. <laughs> of course, he didn't believe in God. He was an atheist. But, but he sure did blame God for a lot of things. Maybe he believed in God more than he thought he did. Um, and he wasn't against lecturing me when he found, found me uh, reading my Bible or going to church or any of those things. Um, and, you know, I, I started growing a backbone a little bit, and I didn't mind just putting it back at him. Um, and we had some good conversations. <laughs> it was a rough summer, really. But, man, did I grow in my faith. It became my faith, right? You understand what I mean by that? wasn't my parents' faith anymore. It was my, my faith. And that, that fall, I started at Boise State. I, I don't know what I was going to study, but I knew two things. I was going to be successful, and I was going to be rich. <clears throat> and really, dorm life, 
they stuck me in the football dorm, which was really exciting. Um, saw some things I'd never seen before. There's a whole bunch of kids experiencing freedom for the first time, and they were failing miserably, honestly. It was gross at times. <laughs> but because of my summer with my grandpa, I was actually ahead of the curve a little bit. I'd already experienced some time away from my parents, but, but yet growing in the Lord, and it really helped me in the midst of this mess that I found myself in. <laughs> and then somehow I got tied into this group of three other guys who would get together almost every night in our dorm room, and guess what we would do? <laughs> we would pray. We prayed together almost every night for long periods of time. And I experienced the presence of God in a way that I really have never, had never experienced before. I mean, it was incredible. And I was noticing things in my life as we were praying for them, right? Things started happening, and I noticed that, that God actually was moving in the world. <laughs> and my relationship with the Lord was growing like a weed. And then came into my life, I think I've shared this story before as well, but this, this professor at Boise State, Dr. Schrodinger, Dr. Andrew B. Schrodinger, if you want to be precise, um, he was this philosophy professor that I had. I remember times in class when he would um, basically start the class with, um, whoever professes to be a Christian, would you please raise your hand? Um, and, you know, raising your hand, whatever. And then he would spend the rest of the class basically ripping to shred the foundations of our faith. Just going to town on us, arguing about everything that we might believe. And several Christians I knew did not survive that onslaught very well. But God actually helped me through this time. It actually had the opposite effect on me because God was working in my life. He, he pushed me deeper into the Bible. He, he, he pushed me to understand what I believed and why I believed it. And those were huge moments in my life. I was desperately learning about God. And again, I'm growing like a weed, right? And yet, it was beginning to affect my studies. Um, all I wanted to do was study the Word. And I didn't want to study <laughs> psychology or um, calculus or anything else. And the truth is, God was calling me into ministry. Didn't quite recognize it yet. Right? But he had a particular plan for my life. And before I knew it, I, I ran into my youth pastor that I grew up with, and he, he um, had moved nearby into Meridian, and I started um, helping him with the youth, youth ministry and transferring the NNU to, be, to study to be a pastor. I mean, God had a particular plan for my life. For me, not for you, for me, right? And I, after I graduated from college, of course, I got married to my beautiful wife, and that was a God thing, right? And we found ourselves in ministry in Cuna, Idaho. You guys know that place? Not too far away, right? And we, be we began our family there of this beautiful picture of our grown-up kids while we were in CUNA. Um, but thankfully, once I got to CUNA, then life went to autopilot, and I could just do whatever I wanted to do as long as I was nice to people, right? No, God was still leading. And the truth is that church helped us understand what ministry was all about. That church helped us way more than we helped them, I'm sure. God worked in and through that family of God as they invested in us and they invested in our kids. And, and we were there 14 amazing years. They kept growing, these weeds down here. And we still have great friends over there. We honestly could have stayed there forever. But you know what happened? God came calling now, could I have ignored that call? 
uh, I believe that I could have. <laughs> there are times that we miss our calling, we miss, miss the turn in the road or whatever it is. Um, now, would it have been good for me and my family or even the CUNA church if I ignored what God was calling us to do? Well, I actually don't think God's vindictive. I don't think he smites us when we do the wrong thing, when we're turned in the wrong direction, when we miss his calling. But in all my experiences with him, looking back, I can honestly tell you that he wants the best for me. He wants the best for my family. He wants the best for the church. He wants the best. And we can try our own ways, but he, he wants what's best. And as sad as it was to leave, God blessed my ministry and my family in Cody, Wyoming. Honestly, in ways that were not possible, I don't think, if we would have stayed. God was moving, God was working, and again, used that church to probably invest in us and grow us more than we ever invested in them and they invested in my family. I was even commenting this morning, there was a guy in Cody, Wyoming that had a big impact on Taylor, and that's why Taylor is as crazy as he is. We can blame Scott Wilson on a lot of what Taylor is. Right, Taylor? There's an impact, right? And as great as our ministry in life was in Cody, God came calling again. This time to Emmett, Idaho. Has ever heard of that place? I can say praise the Lord for that move, but maybe you guys can't. Um, I mean, what a great family you have been to us. And again, you have invested in our ministry. You have taught us things as pastors. You've invested in my kids. You've been unbelievable to us, honestly. You've, you've invested in us far more than we could ever invest in you. And truth be, old, be told, <laughs> this is part of my calling, the moving part. And I've talked about this recently, right? This is not what I like or enjoy, but the reality is that God uses different pastors, different giftings at different times, Right? And even the in-between times, between pastors, to help the church. They speak in different ways. And he uses those individual churches, those church families, to help each pastor to grow in the ways of the Lord. Helping us to become better pastors so that God might use us in the future in different ways. Moving is a natural part. It's not a part that I enjoy. Um, but the reality is, as I said a few months ago, there is a timeline to this, and we need to enjoy each other as much as we can while we're together. <laughs> and that's not to say that any moves, any of the moves have been easy, right? None of the moves have been easy. Lots and lots of tears. I mean, I'm a relational person. I like going deep in relationship. Um, when I run into my church family, you become family quickly. That's just the way it is. Um, and I love my family deeply. It, it hurts badly. But I do know that God is good. I know that he's faithful. I know that he wants what is best. I can trust him. So I would tell, tell you today, if you believe that God actually has a plan for your life, that he just might nudge you to do something, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's not a big, big thing like a move. Maybe it's a little thing. Maybe it's just a, a prompt like I was saying before, the, to pray for somebody. Something small. I truly believe that we can trust him with whatever he's asking us to do. I truly believe that he thinks what's best, that he knows what's best. We don't always know what's best, right? 
God's ways are always better. God's ways are always higher than our ways. Lean into him. Rest in him. You won't regret it. True? But ultimately, this leads to some news that I need to share with you this morning. I realize this isn't the best Sunday to do this uh, with a whole bunch of snow outside, but um, and people not here. But God has come calling again for Wendy and I. And the way it works, in the Nazarene church, the world's kind of split up into districts, and when a church is without a pastor, they usually lean into their district leadership, the district leader who's called the superintendent. He works with the church to discover what kind of leader they need um, for the next season, and it helps them sort through some names and find the right person for them that God is calling so Monday last June, I received a phone call from a DS from another district, and for whatever reason, he had my name and, and wanted to know if, uh, if we would allow my name to be included in their process of vetting, um, and through which they would kind of figure out who might be a, a good fit for them to be pastor. And you guys know how I feel about you. <laughs> I told them. I told him that I was flattered by the consideration, but I have an amazing church family. I have an amazing situation. There's no way God would have in mind for us to leave this place. I mean, you, you can't possibly think that I would leave this place. But I'm also not dumb. I don't, I don't try to make it a habit of ever saying to the Lord, never, right? So if I wanted to be in, uh, sure that he wasn't in this, I at least had to go down the road a little bit. So, I mean, if he wanted to include me on the list, whatever. But I was basically telling him I wasn't interested. And once the DS does his work, he gathers his list of candidates, he, he then presents the information to the church board, um, and there they prayerfully consider who they might choose to, to maybe talk to first. They usually talk to one person at a time. So somewhere around the middle of July, I get this second phone call from that DS, and he told me that I had been selected by the board to have a conversation just to get to know each other just to kind of feel out whether we have any fit or not. And at this point, it's like, great. Like, I need this in my life, right? I mean, I just have to be honest. I was not excited about this at all. I already had my plan. I mean, we've already talked about this. We, I would love to retire here. <laughs> we've talked about that. We love our church family. <laughs> but more than that, our kids live here. My parents live here. My brother lives here. We have a former church family that we see people. I mean, we have so many connections here. Obviously, we aren't leaving, so this is just a huge distraction in my life. But it was just a conversation and believing that God does have a plan and I needed to listen I needed to do my due diligence. I said, why not? Let's have the phone call. And maybe even in that phone call, I could give them some advice and maybe through that could find their way to the pastor that they really need to be talking to. So sometime over the next month, we had a Zoom call. I mean, it was okay. I liked the people. They were nice people. I mean, most church boards are nice, right? But truthfully, the technology was horrible. I couldn't hear half the time. I couldn't see them very clearly at all. There wasn't much. It wasn't easy to connect. And remember, I'm not pursuing a job. So I'm just going to tell them what I thought. I didn't 
stopped in anything. <laughs> I don't know how that came across. And truthfully, they were facing things that we, similar things that we've faced here. And I had plenty that offered them, actually, thoughts that they could run with, right? Just having a conversation. And as we left that conversation, the DS, who was kind of leading the call, he encouraged both sides to pray and, and consider what was next. And he would contact us in a couple of days. The next step in the process is usually a physical visit to the church. Um, we didn't need a couple days. <laughs> we called them the next day. And you know what we did? <laughs> we withdrew our name from their consideration. We didn't want to do it. I mean, from what we saw, they were good people. Nothing wrong with them. But we had a laundry list of reasons not to do this. And so it was all over, just like that. Back to normal, regular life. Or so we thought. <laughs> over the next month, God started working on Wendy and I, actually individually, speaking to us. And then we'd have these conversations like, I had the weirdest thing happen today, and... Are you, are you sensing things? Are you? Yeah, I have. Great. <laughs> that is wonderful. <laughs> I mean, nothing dramatic, really, but I kind of, Wendy described it really well this last week. You know when you're trying to remove a tree or a plant from the dirt, you start loosening the dirt up just a little bit so that you don't tear the thing apart? Looking back on it is kind of, one of those moments. And then came what I call the dumbest sermon series ever. <laughs> Divine interruptions. Why in the world would I do that to myself? That series wrecked me. I remember times in that sermon series, I don't know if you noticed, but I was arguing with God in the middle of the sermon. And myself. And that really felt more like the shovel stuck into the dirt. You pry it underneath the little root and start, I don't care if I'm going to break the roots. I'm going to get that thing out of there. And we weren't really struggling with whether we should go or not. That part was gone. They were on to better things. What we really had a question about was, did we stop to listen to see what God wanted or did we just respond? And again, we just talked it up to experience. It's been over a month, almost two months, since the last time we talked to the church, and it was over. Just next time, pay attention a little better, right? Listen to me. Well, now it's October, and Wendy and I go to NNU for Board of Trustees meetings, and uh, ironically enough, just total coincidence, we end up sitting next to the DS and his wife from the other district. Um, and truthfully, I was interested. I wanted peace. <laughs> I was interested to hear how great whoever it was they had selected, and it, it was going great. Um, I mean, we'd been praying for that church that they find the right person, and is everything going wonderful? <laughs> and his answer didn't jive with me said no we were told that they they had talked to another guy and he didn't seem to be a fit and they really felt like they needed a pastor that had some experience and uh, so they were working through pretty a short list of uh, candidates that actually wanted to go to Wyoming which is where um, the churches that we were talking about I mean they were having trouble finding the right one. And he even said, I'm not even sure where to turn. I don't know how to help them. <laughs> and really, we didn't say anything to the DS that day, but when Wendy and I got home, our hearts were beating a thousand beats a minute. God, what are you doing to us? We love this place. We love these people. We can't leave. 
But in the days to follow, we came up with this idea called the listening tour. Maybe our redemption from not listening to God the first time fully. I mean, we really didn't want to go anywhere where we didn't hear him speak clearly. We didn't know anything about this town that we were considering even. So Wendy and I decided that we were going to drive to this town in Wyoming. Casper, Wyoming is the place. A town we didn't know much about, specifically for this purpose of listening. We wanted to get in the town and listen. We didn't want anyone to pay for it. We didn't want it to be an official visit. We just wanted to listen. And so there we were in Casper, Wyoming. It had beautiful weather that day. I think it might have been the only day this year. <laughs> Kidding. I'm sure there's people from Casper, Wyoming might be listening. Um, that first night in the hotel, I couldn't sleep. I was wrestling with God. It, it was killing me. God, if you're going to do this, you better make it clear. I need Gabriel right now. I need a choir of angels. I'm not doing this without clarity. <laughs> and I really started praying to God that night, and I really felt like I needed to pray out loud. <laughs> I didn't want to wake up Wendy, so I was mumble praying. <laughs> Talking to God. <laughs> and Wendy actually woke up at some point in there and she said, I said, did you hear me praying? She said, I heard you mumbling, but I knew you were praying. <laughs> By the end of that night, it was pretty crazy. The message that I heard that night was clear as day. And it wasn't go, necessarily. That was the surprising part to me. It was Brian... You have your eyes on the wrong things. You are not the important person in this story. <laughs> I am. No matter what happens, you can trust me with Emmett. They are going to be fine. No matter what happens, you can trust me with your kids. They're going to be fine. <laughs> I'm going to take care of them. And no matter what happens, you can trust me with Casper, whether you stay or go. But what I want from you is to trust me. Will you trust me? And I said yes. And by the time we were headed home, there was this peace that came over us, both of us. This amazing peace. No, we didn't know for sure where we were going, <laughs> but we knew that God was with us. And he was going to take care of us. And we've had that peace all the way through. Still waiting for Gabriel. But we had the peace. <laughs> and the night we got home, another really weird thing happened to me. I woke up in the middle of the night, literally weeping. I was weeping when I woke up. I had been weeping in my sleep without even choosing to weep. What in the world was going on with me? I think God, looking back on it again, 2020, I think God was getting the mourning process started. We didn't know for sure where we were going, but, but somehow my body, my soul, whatever, knew something that my brain still hadn't arrived at yet. It was the weirdest feeling. And we just kept praying, <laughs> and we just kept praying, looking for the angelic choir, <laughs> wanted to make sure, and amazingly enough, this Casper board, I don't know, they were so gracious to us, they were, they were so patient with us, they also actually came alongside of us, and they, they knew very much <laughs> what we were going to lose if we left. They took that very seriously. They did not want us to go if we weren't being called by God. And so they were praying for us too. 
working through this over this time period. And still Gabriel didn't show up. So we had this DS, first part of November. The DS reaches out to us. And he said that we, we just couldn't do this indefinitely. We were going to have to make a decision one way or the other. And honestly, the process of this is so hard. The reality is, is when we have a difficult thing happening in our life, who do we go to for help, for prayer? Our church family, right? But in this process, they're not allowed, you're not allowed to talk to your church family about it. And that's one of the hardest things of the whole process. So glad I have my retired pastors here this morning. It's horrible, actually. In fact, I, I really kind of thought, even though we didn't tell people, there were people actually getting it. They were noticing it. I actually get, were, was asked a few different times, are you guys moving? And the reality, to what I answered was, well, if God is telling you something and you've got the answer, you better tell me, right? I'm looking for you, actually. So the first part of November, we had to decide the next step was to make an official visit to uh, Casper. They invited us to do back in July. We said no, and we really needed the clarification. So we said yes, we'll go. But since basketball season had already started, <laughs> my schedule was pretty tight. And I said, really, I, I can't even go for another six weeks, 45 days at least. And if you want to go find some other person, we'd be happy about that. So <laughs> could you just go right ahead? But they said that they would wait for whatever reason. I mean, they've been without a pastor for a year. That's a long time. <clears throat> I know I'm making this story way too long. But in the middle of December, <clears throat> we flew out at <laughs> 4.30 in the morning, Casper, Wyoming, for what was a brutal couple days of questions and answers getting to know people, all while I'm getting sick. <clears throat> the moment we got there, we were ushered um, to a restaurant, had a brunch with some people, over a group of over 20 people. They asked us a whole bunch of questions, uh, tried to get to know us. Then we moved to lunch, <laughs> different group of people, um, all sorts of questions, trying to get to know us, moved to the afternoon group, moved to the dinner group, <clears throat> and I was exhausted and getting sicker. <laughs> and we repeated the, thing the next day the same way. I mean, I was trying my best to stay focused. And then the moment, the sickness is coming. I'm not even sure how I answered some of their questions. And some of their questions were really hard, I will say. And even as I was getting sicker and all these things were happening, there was still a peace about it. I don't know why. It didn't make any sense. And even moments of clarity, I would be talking to someone, and it's like, wow, this guy has a call of God on his life. I wonder if he knows it. I mean, there was just moments and different conversations, and you, I could just see how God was working in that place. And the last step in the process as a congregation is to have a congregational vote. <laughs> and last Sunday, they voted almost unanimously <laughs> to invite some sickly preacher <laughs> who probably gave them some crazy answers to come be their pastor. So God was either behind this or those are some pretty desperate people. <laughs> but whatever the vote was, it was a moment of clarity for us. And we accepted the call last Sunday afternoon. And truthfully, 
I know that our decision also affects you. And we do not take that lightly. We love you very deeply. Know that this decision was not made lightly. And don't we trust in a God who is good and faithful? And we can trust him even in situations like this. That he has our best interest in mind. Our last Sunday will be February 18th. And we really would like to share two things, at least right now, with you. First of all, I know that, this, that there's sadness with this. But there will be tears. Trust me, there already have been many. But let's try to enjoy these next few weeks with each other. And the second thing that I want to say to you is that this is not a goodbye. With Christians, there are no goodbyes, actually, right? There's always just a see you later. But we plan to keep our house. <laughs> We plan to at least retire here. Who knows what God has in mind? But we will be around. <laughs> Taylor's planning on moving into the house. I hope to do some backpacking with some of you. I, I want to be involved. We also expect you guys to come visit. Plenty of space for you. We have this house that's, and as far as we know, we're not taking any kids with us, but... But if you come to visit, you can drive by the Tetons if you've never been there. Beautiful place. We might even do some things as sister churches, possibly. Nathan and I have had some conversations about that. More conversations will come. But at this point, the church board would like to come and speak to you. I think it would be good now to have Wendy and the kids come up, Sydney, Abby, Taylor, if you would, please. I think I speak for the entire congregation and for the board that uh, we truly love this family. They have been such a great part of this church for the last 10 or 11 years, and uh, we're just very thankful for you guys and the hard work the dedication uh, that you have shown and put in to our church. Thankful for that. Thank you for that. Also for uh, the great example of what it truly means to uh, follow the will of God in your life. Personally, I just uh, get to see people who really uh, struggle because God doesn't always ask us to do things that we want to do and takes us out of our comfort zone a lot uh, seemingly but uh, grateful that you guys are willing to follow God in your life and I truly believe that you are doing that thank you for that I also want to reassure the church and the Emmett church and the congregation that on behalf of the board we have already put into process looking for a new pastor. Um, we work hand in hand, as Brian was saying, with the district, the district superintendent. Uh, he will begin to work with the board. Uh, we'll be uh, getting names of pastors that are out there that uh, uh, may and will be willing to uh, come here. So know this, that uh, we are in prayer. Uh, for our new leader to come. And I would ask the congregation as well, as individuals, this is a time for all of us to unite together 
not only in prayer as a whole, but prayer for yourself as an individual to ask God where it is that he may be asking you now to step up and take on something that maybe you're not real comfortable with, but through this transition time, as we uh, are seeking a new pastor and leader in our church, uh, that maybe God has something for you to step up and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to be there for him. Willingness, availability, obedience. Those are three words that I think as Christians we can live by. And I love the scripture that we started out with in Jeremiah. Right off the bat, God says, I know the plans I have for you. He already knows what he wants, not only for you, but for us as well. I believe that. Do you? And I know you do. I would like all of us to come forward, if you would. I would like to pray for Wendy and Brian, the family, for our church in this new time. Let's just gather in as tight as we can as we pray for God's blessing on the Knights and their new move and for this church as well. Father, how grateful we are for your love in our lives, for the fact that we know that you do care and you are a part of everything that we do. I just want to pray now that you would be with Pastor Brian and Wendy as they take this step in the direction of your will in their lives. Lord, we know that there's going to be trials and hard times and sad times for all of us here and for them as well. I just pray, Lord, that you would just reassure that your peace would be a part of everything that goes on, that all of us here would just grab onto the promise that you know exactly what you want for them and for this church. Lord, I'm just grateful for you. I'm grateful for the work and the hard dedication, all of it, that Pastor Brian and Wendy have brought to this church, and I know they will bring that same passion, that same love to Casper. Truly, their gain is our loss, but Lord, we do know that you have a plan for us, and we do know that somebody out there right now is beginning to think about Emmett, Idaho. Lord, we love you. We thank you for everything that you do. I pray as a whole, that we would begin to seek your will in our lives, that we would begin to pray earnestly where it is that you want us to be now in this transition time. May we follow you, hang on to you, and know, Lord, that you have a plan and that you have it in control. Thank you so much for that promise. Thank you for all you do. We ask this in your name. Amen. You're a great friend, great pastor. Truly will miss you. But may God go with you. Does anybody want to? <laughs> Okay, um, you are going to say another word before we actually are dismissed, or are we dismissed? Or we have a benediction, Pastor. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Let me read it here. We'll miss you, brother.
guys don't have to run off. Let me just read a scripture to close. I think this will be good for us. Isaiah 41, beginning with verse 8. says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from as farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. People of God, don't we know that God? (laughs) Can't we trust him? In this, just encourage you in this in the days ahead <laughs> to just lean in and trust Him. He will be with us through this. The truth is, actually, good time to give a comment. Uh, most healthy churches grow in the interim when they don't have a pastor, and this is a healthy church. How do they grow without a pastor? Casper's been grown without a pastor. I, asked, I actually asked the question, why do you even need a pastor? You guys are doing great. Well, it's because people step up. Just like Bill was saying, this is a time for you guys to gather together and, and pray with one another and encourage each other and be the church. And God will be with you. You are sent.